Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, where the title of the message is Full of Faith and the Holy Spirit. Now, you remember last week we were looking at the last part of Acts chapter 10, and, and it's that part of the story where, where there's a major shift in the spread of the gospel. Prior to Acts chapter 10, it goes to people who are of Jewish descent, whether Jewish people in the Jerusalem area or in the land of Israel, whether to the Samaritans who, are, who descend from the Jewish people. And now in Acts chapter 10, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And from here on out, the gospel will spread across the entire world. When you go to Acts chapter 11, Peter, in the first 18 verses, essentially recounts everything that happened in Acts chapter 10. You say, why is it repeated? Because God wants us to understand clearly that the gospel is for everyone. It's for whosoever will may come. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's not anybody who's excluded from the love of God or from the wonderful power of the gospel. And so it's repeated for us. And so I'm not going to take time to look at it. I really want to pick it up in Acts chapter 11 and verse 19 because we get a picture of the first Gentile church in a town known as Antioch. It was a great church. It was a church in revival. It was a church that had prayer meetings. We know that from Acts 13. It was a church that had great teaching. There were five teachers. Paul was one of them. Barnabas was one of them. The great teaching in that church. And it was a church that believed in sending people out to share the gospel. And in the middle of all of that, there is a man named Barnabas who we've seen before in Acts 9. We saw him in Acts chapter 4. And now again, we see Barnabas who is at this church that is in revival. And as we look at his life, we learn some things, some behaviors, some values that can make a massive difference for any church that is experiencing a move of God. When you look in Acts chapter 11 and verse 24, it gives us two characteristics about Barnabas. First of all, it says he was a good man. He was good. Second, he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. It's interesting. You know, the two go together, but I've, I've met some people who, are, who have the Spirit of God on them, but their faith is not as strong as it could be. Here's Barnabas. He's full of the Holy Spirit and strength and faith. And we're going to see seven characteristics from his life that strengthen that church. And my prayer is that you'll take notes and that as we go through each of the seven, you'll say, God, make that a part of my life because that would be the will of the Lord and that would build the church and that would change people's lives. So seven characteristics that strengthen the church from the life of Barnabas. Number one. He cared about others. 
Barnabas is a man who cares about others. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution and connection with Stephen. So this takes us all the way back to Acts chapter 8. Remember, Philip goes in to Samaria, preaches the gospel, a great revival there. But people are scattered like Philip was, and some traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch. Let me show you where Antioch is. So here's Cyprus right here. You have Jerusalem down there, Caesarea where Cornelius is at, and now Syrian Antioch right up here. Tarsus, Paul is from Tarsus right here. That's where he was born, went to Jerusalem to study, went back to Tarsus. But people came from there, went there, shared the gospel, and a church was started. Not just any church, but one of the great churches in the New Testament. It's a church where revival broke out. We don't have the detailed record we have in Acts 8. We can assume it was very much like what Philip saw in Samaria, that, that people were not only saved, but people were healed and God was moving. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 22, it says, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So they're hearing about the revival. Listen, when there's, when there's revival happening, word gets around, they know about it, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. I want you to think about this for just a moment. At Jerusalem, they've got Peter, James, John. They've got all the disciples. They've got elders. They have, they have people like Philip who had that great revival in Samaria. They had men like Stephen who had been martyred for his faith. But you think of all the people they could have sent to a church in revival. They picked Barnabas. And why did they pick Barnabas? I want to suggest to you they picked him because he had a reputation for caring for people. We see that in Acts chapter 9 when nobody wanted anything to do with the Apostle Paul, when nobody would talk to him, nobody would meet with him. They were all afraid of him because of his past as a persecutor of Christians. Who was the one who had the nerve? Who was the one who, had the, who, who was willing to say, he's more valuable than, than my fear, and I'm going to step out of my fear, and I'm going to talk to him because I've heard that he's changed. Who believed Paul changed before anybody else did? Barnabas. And because of Barnabas, Paul was introduced to the apostles. Because of Barnabas, Paul begins to build relationships that grow him, that change him, that are beneficial. He'll talk about it later in the book of Galatians. In Acts chapter 4, you see Barnabas' care again because now the, the church is growing and there are people who have needs and, and the church is needing resource to meet those needs. And so Barnabas says, well, hey, I've got a, I've got a field and I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give the church the money and they can distribute it to people who are in need. Why does a person do that? Because he's a person who cares about people. And here's the thing, when you're in a move of God, God is going to send people. I mean, on Wednesday night, when we had people stand who had come from out of town, and they came here specifically to be prayed for, it just almost is breathtaking to watch it. God is sending people here. We have a responsibility to people who come from afar and people who come from next door. 
to encourage them, to love them, to welcome them, to reach out to them. The need of the hour is for an army of people who will do more than just come to church and leave, but will come and say, I'm here to be used by God. And that starts with loving people and caring for people that you've never met before. You say, but I have things I need and I'm not very outgoing. Well, pray for the needs of others and God will take care of yours. And as far as not being outgoing, let me just say this. It doesn't appear that Barnabas was an extrovert. It doesn't appear that Barnabas was necessarily outgoing. What Barnabas was, was he was kind. He cared about people. And when you care about people, you'll forget about yourself. And that's the best thing that could happen to any one of us. Get our eyes off ourselves. Get our eyes on the Lord. Get our eyes on what he's doing and the people he's sending. And love them in Jesus' name. That builds a church. That changes people's lives. That's what made Barnabas so effective. There's a second thing I want you to notice. He served where there was a need. Now in Acts chapter 11 and verse 22, the news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So they asked him to go, and he went. It's very interesting. There, there wasn't any, well, let me, let me think about it and pray about it, and I'll get back to you. He didn't say, well, I'll let you know in a week. He didn't say, well, I've never done that before. I've, I've, you know, I, don't, I don't know those people. They don't know me, and, and they're in revival, so obviously things are going really good. Why would they need? He doesn't do any of that. There was a need and they asked him to meet the need, and so he did. You know, really, that's the beginning of, of some of the greatest ministry you and I will ever know, when there's a need and we choose to meet it. You say, well, how would I know the needs in a church of this size? Grow track is one of the great ways to find out what's going on and where you can be involved. I'll tell you, on Thursday night, it was absolutely spectacular. Not just the kids were, that were here, and I'm going to tell you, there was significant ministry in the altar. It was really uh, very moving to watch what was going on and what God was doing. But equally moving to me was to see all of the James River people who really, on very short notice, had said, I want to be a part of that. I'll serve in the parking lot, talking to somebody Friday afternoon. They're like, yeah, I was out in the parking lot. I was like, really? Well, what was that like? And he was talking about it. But just different people that served, I was so grateful for all the people who came out on a Thursday night and said, I, if God is moving, I want to be a part of that, and I'm here to serve the young people. Listen, when a person is full of faith in the Holy Spirit, there's an extraordinary yieldedness to go wherever there's a need. I think it's, I think because this, the Spirit is always sending us to help people. The more full of the Spirit we are, the, the, the more faith we have, the more we're yielded to God because we're believing God can use us. Barnabas understood the need is often an open door or a door that God opens to bless ministry and ministry we never imagined. 
Let me just suggest to you, he knew that if he followed the leading of God, he would be in the presence of God, have access to the power of God, and experience extraordinary blessing of God. I want to ask, do you have that kind of revelation when you're asked to serve somewhere? That if you say yes, it's going to open your life to the presence of God in a greater way. It's going to give you access to power because God's going to put you in front of people and saying yes to that you didn't even imagine. So you're going to meet somebody and they're going to say, you know, I've got this need. And all of a sudden there's going to be a power. There's going to be a faith. There's going to be a blessing on your life to bless them. If we only do, and I'm, I'm for understanding how God has wired us. I'm, a, I'm for understanding our giftings. But if we only do what we feel gifted to do, we may miss some of the greatest working of God our life will ever see. I mean, again, and I talk about Debbie, and I just straight up say, I love her, so it's easy for me to talk, to, talk about her, okay? But I admire, there's so many things I admire. One of the things is she just... If there's a need, she's just willing to do it. She, she didn't jump into women's ministry because she felt called to women. She, it, she did not want to do it. But there was a need, and God, the door was open, and she did it, and it changed her. She's been working with our youth team. We've got a spectacular youth team, but we just out, coming out of COVID, there were just some realities in youth ministry that were very difficult. And there just needed to be some things that, that maturity and leadership could bring. And so a 59-year-old woman going into a, a, a youth night um, and really getting up and saying, we're not going to throw paper airplanes anymore, and you're all going to put your phone down. I mean, that's what's going on. And so, you know, you, you would think people wouldn't, really like that. But now, I mean, it's the place is transformed. And the power of God is there in such a great dimension because there was a need and she said yes. And I'm just simply saying as we go through this time, you're going to see more and more needs. You're going to see needs of people, needs for ministry because God is at work. And I want to encourage you to have the faith, the expectancy, and the nerve to just step out and say, there's a need, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet it, and watch what God will do in your life, not only through meeting the need of that ministry or that opportunity, but through your interaction with the people you'll meet along the way that will transform, God will transform their life through you. Number three, he saw the grace of God in an imperfect church. Verse 23, look at this. When he arrived, he saw evidence of the grace of God and was glad. So here's a, here's a man, he's full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. And those things enabled him to see beyond the imperfections of a young church that had just been planted. Listen, I, it goes without saying, there's there's no perfect church because there's no perfect people, right? So if you're looking for the church, perfect church, I promise you this is not it. And if you find the perfect church, don't join it, you'll ruin it. So, I mean, honestly, 
what you do is you say, I buy in, I feel the grace of God, I feel the leading of God to be a part of it, and I understand I'm not going to find a perfect place because there are no perfect people. Here's Barnabas. He goes there, and you have to believe. I mean, it is a pagan city that's got a lot of immorality happening in it, and people are coming in, and, and don't believe that just because people get saved that all of the sudden there are no problems. That's not true. And so he's got these young believers and he's training them and he's watching them and surely there were problems that needed, needed solving, but he sees beyond the imperfections to the grace of God. That's the kind of vision God wants us to have. What do you see when you look at the church? Do you see the problems? Listen, it takes no prophetic gift and no divine insight to find the cow patties in the pasture of the church. It does take a grace from the Lord and faith to look at something that's imperfect and say, I'm not going to look at what's wrong. I'm going to look at what's right. I'm not going to look at people. I'm going to watch God work. I'm not going to get caught up on what didn't get done. I'm going to focus on the grace of God. Listen, if you're full of the Holy Spirit and faith, your life, your words, and your social media account will be characterized by goodness and grace. Don't go on social media and tear the church apart. If there's a problem, come in and talk about it. You may like the answer. You may not. I don't know. But that's the way you deal with problems, not, not getting caught up in bashing the church. If you bash the church, let me tell you something. You're operating in the flesh, and if you're operating in the flesh, then you're inviting the enemy, and it will lead to unbelief and a lack of God's working in your life. And that's, I'm just saying that's how it works. When we operate in the flesh… We're giving, we're giving sway to the enemy. We're not operating in faith. We're operating in unbelief at that point, and we're going to see less of God's working in our life. On the other hand, if we're walking in the Spirit, we're letting the Spirit of God lead us. It's going to build our life with faith, and we're going to see more of God's working. You want to see more of God's working in your life? Then don't walk in the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Are you with me on that? Number four, he encouraged people. He encouraged people. Verse 23, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. I mean, Barnabas is not only a good man, he's a glad man. He's happy. There's a joy about his life. He's able, honestly, what gives him joy is he's able to celebrate the goodness of God in the lives of others. And he's encouraging them. And he, it's such a part of who he is. His real name was Joseph. But he was such an encourager so consistently that the apostles changed his name to Barnabas, which means Bar, son of encouragement. He was an encourager. 
And you read through the book of Acts, and that's what you see him doing. You see him encouraging people who are in need by selling his field. You see him encouraging the apostle Paul. You see him encouraging John Mark. You see him encouraging people here at the church in Antioch. He loved to encourage people. And the result was people were getting saved. Because people want to be in a place that is encouraging. People want to be in a place that's going to build their faith, that's going to tell them about a good God who does amazing things, that's going to let them know, listen, there's hope for you, and God will help you. Let's pray about it now and watch what he'll do. That's how encouragement works. You know one of the easiest ways to encourage people at James River? Get in a life group. Do you realize we, we're launching today 80 new life groups, and in the next couple of weeks, another 20, over 100 new life groups? I mean, there are, you say, well, I tried one and I wasn't a good fit. Try another. I mean, got hundreds of them. There's surely one that's a good fit. You say, I'm not sure I need it. It's not about you. It's about others. What if they need you? Well, I don't know who would need me. Well, you know what? Go and find out. That's what I would say. And listen, you can encourage people with a smile and a warm greeting. We've had many people who said, I was afraid when I came on the parking lot and our parking attendants are out there and they're not there to park cars. Just so you know, they're not there really even to direct traffic. You know what they're there for? To welcome people. To tell people, hey, I am so glad that you are here. We've had more people say, you know what, when I, I, it seems so real and so genuine and they seem so happy, it just set me at ease. And you know what, when we set people at ease as they come in the door, it's going to open them up to the Spirit of God working in their life, right? A smile, a warm greeting, I'm so glad you're here today. I don't know you, but I see you regularly here, and your faithfulness is an inspiration to me. Say that to somebody. You don't even have to know them to say that. Or maybe a compliment. Thank you for serving here in the early childhood area. I so appreciate it. I'm so grateful for what you do. Or out in the parking lot, rather than honking your horn, thank them. Just say thank you for being out here when it's hot and it's cold and it's wet and, and you're here all the time. Thank you. I so appreciate what you're doing. Or maybe a kind act, offer to buy their coffee or they're looking at a book at the, at the, on the bookcase by the coffee bar and say, hey, if, if, you, if you'd like to have that book, I'd love to buy it for you. Or somebody's looking for a seat. Now this is asking a lot. Would you like my aisle seat that I came a half hour early to have? And you know what? You get an extra star or jewel in your crown because you gave up your aisle seat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, surely you give up your seat for somebody to get saved. Surely you give up your seat for somebody to get healed. Surely you'd give up your seat to have somebody delivered and set free in Jesus' name. I mean, we're just talking about encouraging people. And here's what I love. Let me say this. It's an easy thing to talk to you about this because I see a million examples of it every week. But I just think as we're in this season, it's good to remind ourselves of the things. Oftentimes we think of them as little things, but they're little things that make a massive difference, right? Right? Well, number five, he made room for young leaders. 
room for young leaders. Verse 25, then Barnabas, so people are getting saved like crazy, Acts 11, 24. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Here's the impact. So there's where the word Christians came from. You know what Christians means? It means little Christ. In other words, they were so acting like Jesus. They said, you're acting like Jesus. And so they began to call them Christians. A Christian's one who acts like Jesus. And so they're making this massive impact. And you know, what I find interesting about this is Barnabas, here he is at Antioch. People are getting saved. He shows up now. Great multitudes are getting saved. And a lot of people might have, had they been Barnabas, might have thought, well, you know, now finally my time has arrived. Now finally I'm, I'm the leader of a group. You know, hey, praise God for Peter and John and all those guys, but I never got a chance to lead. Now I'm getting a chance to lead, and, and now I'm getting to show what I can do and how God can use me, and I'm really enjoying the opportunity to lead and to be a part of the revival, and all those things could have been running through his mind. I'm now establishing myself as a leader. But what Barnabas does is instead of maneuvering for his own status, he goes and he looks for a person, Saul, who will later be known as the Apostle Paul, and he brings him back knowing that the person he's bringing back to Antioch will outshine him in intellect, in teaching ability, and in sheer aggressiveness. He knows, Paul knows, knows the word of God 10 times better than he himself knows. And with that invitation to Paul, Barnabas forever cements his secondary status in church history. I mean, I want you to look at this. It's very interesting. Very few people would have been selfless enough to invite somebody whose light would shine brighter than their own. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is at Antioch, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They go on this missionary journey as they're there. Watch what happens. Acts 13, 7, the proconsul, so this is like a governor, an intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Eliamus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. So this is the turning point when from now on, Saul is referred to as Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Eliamus and said, you're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? And I can picture Barnabas thinking, I wouldn't have said it that way. You say, well, what's wrong? Watch what happens. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind. And for a time, you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. And immediately, mist and darkness came over him and he groped about. What I want to suggest to you is there's an intensity here that is a part of Paul's personality. And while on the one hand, it's part of Paul's personality, 
I don't think it's unreasonable to wonder whether Barnabas really liked the way that went down. I think as well there's a subtle lesson for us that God uses people. And because there's no perfect people, he has to use imperfect people. And the fact that God does something here does not necessarily validate the intensity with which it was done. It's one of the mysteries. We talked about it on Wednesday night where Elisha is going up out of Jericho. And as he goes, he's a prophet in the Old Testament. And as he's going out, some youths come out and they make fun of his bald head. And he calls down a curse on them and bears come out and maul 42 youths. I mean, think about that for a minute. What's that saying? Well, it's in the one hand, it's defending the anointing on a person's life. Be very careful about attacking somebody who's anointed. I mean, that's, that's, that is certainly the lesson there. But you also have to say you can't imagine Jesus calling bears to maul youths. Do you see what I'm saying? There's different, certainly different personalities, but watch this, and immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeing, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So that happens. Now watch, watch what happens after that episode. Next verse. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia. Wait, 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 wait. I don't see Barnabas' name anywhere in there. He goes, it goes from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and his companions. Just like that. Later, we read this later in the chapter, verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue. And again in verse 46, as Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, and you can follow them over the next three chapters, and Barnabas consistently puts the young leader forward. Even though the young leader is going to do it in ways Barnabas probably wouldn't have done it. Here's something that's very, very interesting. I mean, just they've got two different styles. Let me just add a couple of comments to this. One is that sons of encouragement do have advantages. They're less likely to be stoned than sons of thunder. Both have their own cost. Barnabas would pay the price of obscurity. Paul would pay, explosive Paul would pay the price of beatings, imprisonment, and stoning. It's very interesting. They're both at Lystra. They're both speaking. But Paul's the one they stone and drag out of the city thinking he's dead. And the believers gather around, and many scholars believe raised Paul from the dead. We're going to look at that. And you have to believe Barnabas is one of the believers raising Paul from the dead. And I mean, as soon as Paul's raised from the dead, maybe Barnabas is saying, you know, Paul, I think it was that last line. It's just the way you said it, you know? <laughs> you know, you're going to have different styles. But you know, the, the, the key is, here's Barnabas. He would do things different. That's the thing. As we raise up a younger generation, they're going to do things different. They're going to say things different. They might not say it like, like you would say it or 
your generation would say it, but one of the things I love about what God is doing here is he's raising up a generation of new leaders. We're watching it happen in our James River College. We're, we're placing 90% of our graduates are being placed in ministry. We've got young leaders everywhere, and I, as a, as a senior leader, I love pushing the young leaders forward. Their success is our joy. Well, number six, he was patient with the failure of others. Now listen, there's going to be people in a move of God who are going to fail. There's going to be people who are going to make mistakes, and there are going to be people who fall into sin. And the question is, how are we as people in the middle of a revival going to handle that? Are we going to give in to the cancel culture? Are we going to, again, jump online and berate them and in the process tear down the church? Or are we going to do what the Bible prescribes, which is to gently, quietly, patiently love people and restore them to kingdom usefulness and credibility? I mean, Paul says this in Galatians 6, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So be very careful if you say, oh, I'd never. Listen, love people, care for people, encourage people. If history is any indicator, as we continue in this move of God, there are going to be people we're going to need to be patient with. There's people we're going to need to be kind with. There's people we're going to need to encourage. There's going to be correction. There's going to be things that happen. But we want to be responsible to love people and to do things in a loving way. I mean, here's Barnabas, and, and he and Paul are on this first missionary journey, and in Acts 13, from Paphos, Paul and, and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John, that's John Mark, left them to return to Jerusalem. Sounds fairly benign there, but Paul is the one who will tell it like it is. Acts chapter 15, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Who's leading who? Barnabas puts the young leader forward, and the young leader leads. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and we don't hear anything about him again. Doesn't mean it wasn't great. It just means he sails into obscurity in our eyes, but not God's. But Paul chose Silas and left, committed by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Barnabas believes in people. You know what's going to happen? Paul's going to get down to the end of his life. He's going to be in the Mamertine prison. He's going to be hours away from having his head cut off. And he's going to write to Timothy. Send John Mark, for he's useful to me. How could that be, Paul? You wrote him off because Barnabas put his arm around the shoulder of John Mark and said, it's okay, don't take it too serious. Paul's a hothead, but he'll get over it. 
I'm not against Paul. I'm just, Paul's intense. John Mark's hurt. Barnabas gets it. Barnabas says, I believe in you, John Mark. And though you left and you quit, I believe there's something in you God can do that's great. Do you enjoy the gospel of Mark? John Mark wrote that. We just have to have a heart for people. We, we're, we're not in the business of writing people off. And I get really concerned at times when I watch the church, and I'm talking at the larger church, position itself against people who have stumbled. I'm not advocating a loose view of sin, but I am advocating a Galatians 6.1 response to it. Finally, the musicians can come. He respected prophetic words. He respected prophetic words. Look at this. Very interesting. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius, who was the Roman emperor at that time. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. So Agabus said, there's going to be a, a big famine. They took that to heart, said, you know what? We're going to give an offering to help care for people in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So they believe in prophecy. They believe in the value of the prophetic word. Listen, I'm just going to, I want to encourage you. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to have it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And so there's going to be, there's going to be in a season where God is moving, God is going to speak. He speaks through his word, yes. He can speak to our heart, absolutely. But God's not going to let any one of us say, well, I I read the word and he speaks to my heart and I don't need anybody else. When you go there, what you're saying is you're saying, I don't need anybody else. And now you've moved into a realm where you have an isolated approach to your Christian walk. And that's that's a dangerous thing to do, because if the Old Testament teaches teaches us anything, God sends prophets. But in the New Testament, he sends a different kind of prophet. In the Old Testament, the prophets were calling people back to God. In the New Testament, the prophets are calling the people of God, encouraging them, strengthening them, building them up. And God may want to speak some things to you and certainly will speak to the church and certainly is speaking to Debbie and I. I mean, in the the last, in these 18 months, there have been a number of what I would call significant prophetic words that have been given to both Debbie and Todd, to me. You say, why don't you tell us what they are? I keep every one of them and read them. What I do with them, let me tell you how it works. If I get one or she gets one, the first person we share it with is one another. What do you think? Do you think it's true? How do you feel about it? Does it resonate in your spirit? Then we share them with people close to us so that we can evaluate whether the Lord is, is speaking through this because we believe he speaks. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. In other words, don't quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. 
Don't say, oh, I don't need that stuff. Test everything. Hold on to the good. The next verse says, avoid every, every kind of evil. So you test it. You weigh it. You evaluate it. You know, one of the things is true. You say, well, I don't ever have any prophetic word. My question to you would be, first of all, would you be open to it if you got it? Because the fact of the matter is, in life, both positive and negative, we attract what we value. So if you're a gossip, you'll attract gossip. I mean, that's the negative. You could go down that and trace that through a lot of ways. If you, if you value people who seek God and are lovers of God, you'll, you'll, attract, you'll attract that. If you value prophecy, you'll attract that. And all I'm saying is we're in a season where God is working supernaturally and God is going to speak supernaturally to his people because that's what he does. These are seven characteristics from the life of Barnabas that strengthened the church. And, and my, I think the takeaway for us is simply this. We're in a season that is, by anybody's standards, very unusual. I mean, how do you explain on a short week 377 people getting saved. I mean, that's, that's stunning. How do you explain being, after a record year of baptisms, hundreds ahead? How do you explain all, this, all the miracles I just told you about but at the start of the service? God has visited us in a very unique and wonderful way. And, and the response on our part shouldn't be to sit back and say, well, I wonder what's happening next, and not engage it, but to lean in and say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to encourage people. I want to care about people. I want to, I want to believe in the young leaders. And, and yeah, they're not going to do it like I'd want it, like I might do it, but I'm going to get behind them. I'm going to believe in our next generation. And, and I'm going to be a part of, of valuing what you're doing. And it's not about me. And if there's somebody whose star shines brighter, so be it. Who cares as long as people are getting saved and God is moving? That's where we want to be. So lean in because God's working and the best is yet to come.